Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. But uh, there's now more and more research saying the importance of the small talk and the sense of that social integration is so important for our longevity. It's one of the, the most important factors they've found, that as well as close relationships. So I think acting, I think especially during our disconnected world right now, I think the importance of saying hello and how are you? It's a lovely day, isn't it? Those little chats are so part of the human experience and part of the sense of the, the, the sense of tribe and the collective, which we all crave to be a part of. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Hi, I'm Rip Esselstyn, and I want to welcome you to the Plant Strong Podcast. Today, I am incredibly excited to be your tour guide into the magical and enchanting world of the happy pair, David and Stephen Flynn. For over 16 years, these Irish twin brothers have been making waves in the plant-based world and jumping into them with their daily sunrise ocean swims, which, as you'll hear today, is one of their daily must-dos for energy, creativity, and vitality. This is why I knew we get along so well, because as I'm sure you know, my daily swims are also one of my keys to success. We talked about how these two former tough guy, meat-loving rugby players transformed into plant-strong powerhouses. We talked yoga, handstands, meditation, cooking, building community, spreading joy, and a lot, lot more. I've been wanting to talk to these laddies for a while now, and I hope you love the conversation as much as I did, because when you interview the happy pair, you just kick back and let them go. Well, let's go with Stephen and David Flynn, the happy pair. All right, here we are, the Plant Strong Podcast. I have got David and Stephen Flynn. I've I've been wanting to have you guys in the podcast for a long, long time, but now is the time. And um, in season three of the podcast, guys, we're really kind of focusing in on a lot of the trailblazers in the plant-based movement that are kind of paving the way for a lot of other people. And at some point, you guys had a Galileo moment where you decided that there was something about plants that really resonated with you. And it's informed your life's journey and passion. So I want to talk about all that. But first, I want you guys to know, I don't know. I mean, outside of, yes, my sister came and visited you guys like two years ago with her family. And I know you guys have written a bunch of books and you've got, you know, a bakery and you guys are doing all this cool stuff. But I don't know too much more about you guys, right? So I want to dive in. So just know I may be asking you questions that you've answered a jillion times, but for me, it's the first time I've heard these answers. Okay. So (laughs) let's start. I want to start just with the basics. So you guys call yourselves the happy pair, right? The happy pair. So why the happy pair? I love the name, but I'm intrigued with it. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to take it even back before that. So we're identical twins, Dave and Steve. We're both 41 now. But we grew, we grew up in a small little town in Ireland, which is called Greystones. And we grew up as a family of four boys. And being identical twins, like from an old boys family, we were hyper competitive. You yeah. know, was, you, you were just competing for dinner, competing for clothes, competing for attention. 
And uh, that was kind of the schooling kind of thing. And we were all over, we were kind of overachievers as, you know, if you, you know, being identical twins, we were, you know, by the time we started college, we were playing semi-pro rugby. We were playing, I was playing off scratch and golf. We were, we were doing modeling. We were studying business. We were overachievers in loads of things. And we were eating the standard diet, meat and two veg, loads of pints. We were jocks. Like we used to wear Ralph Lauren shirts and we short hair back and sides. And we were, you know, that was our kind of, you know, definition or identity back then. And, and we'd never really questioned what we eat and how it affected us. Food was just fuel. It was something you just ate. And being Irish, when you went out socializing, you drank a load of beer. And that was that. Great. Uh, and then age 21, I remember I just finished university and um, we had... So before you go into the 21 and that journey, I want to know, like, tell me a little bit about your other brothers and your and your and your mom and your dad. Like, were, was this a happy family you guys grew up yeah. in? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was like the Brady Bunch. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. All of us four brothers, like, you know, we were a pack. We were, you know, our mother was there. She was the sergeant general of four boys. Like, she's a strong, dominant Irish mother that would like loving, loving. a loving, but she's just <laughs> she's powerful. She, you know, she was the pack leader. And were you guys the oldest or where yeah, yeah, we're the eldest? I'm 15 minutes older than Dave. And then Mark's two and a half years younger. And then Dara's two and a half years younger. So four boys, very sporty. Mom would kind of like see us like a pack of dogs, just get you out to chase a ball all day long and just burn off that energy. So we were very sporty, very happy home. And what did your father do for work? He, he was he's in he was an engineer so he he worked and mom was a teacher but when the four boys came along yeah. she had to give up that and focus on feeding the boys and all that kind of stuff so yeah yeah so 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 that was and, that thing and then growing up in a small little town it was lovely everyone knew everyone it was nice and small and you know very wholesome little town yeah now you guys obviously identical twins i remember jane telling me the way you can tell them apart the easiest way is david's got a little fleck extra fleck of hair hair right there right very good she's a detail yeah dave yeah. dave has a dynamic hairline steve yeah. has a straight yeah. hairline yeah exactly exactly yeah. now is it true because i heard somewhere recently that one of you's right-handed and one of you's left-handed. Is that true or false? Yeah. Yeah. You were mirror twins. So I'm, I'm right-handed. He's left-handed. I'm right-footed. He's left-footed. Uh, I'm right-brained. He's left-brained. No, no, but we're, we are, it was funny though. Back, back about five years, was it five years ago, we were probably involved in a study in university college Dublin where they were comparing the lifestyle factors of identical twins versus non-identical twins. And I remember on, on metabolic rate, on their metabolic rate. And, and they brought and, us in and they put us in a bod pod and all this type of stuff. But I remember they did a zygote test to measure where we actually identical eternal twins. And I remember we lived our whole life as identical twins. I remember that moment was like, oh my God, I'm going to have an existential crisis if I'm not an identical twin. Right. And it turned out of the 90 sets of twins, we were the most identical. We were male <sighs> twins. So we won. We Win. won. <laughs> yeah. Woo. So let's 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 get back. I before I you know did the interrupted you. Okay. So so heroes. So so we'd reached twenty one. Happy upbringing. Like we were we were doing what we were meant to do. You know, society said you needed to be good at sport. You needed to as a man. You needed to be good at trying to chat up girls. You needed to be able to drink loads of pints and eat loads of burgers. And we did all that. We did all that and we studied business and we, we'd done all the things you were meant to do and we still felt a certain emptiness inside of ourselves. So when you say you felt, you felt a certain emptiness, was that something you both felt? And did you look at each other and go, man, I, I feel like something's missing or what, what, how did that present it was itself? a deeper sense. I think it was more a curiosity and a deeper sense that there must be more than money makes you happy or you meet a pretty girl and that makes you happy or whatever it was. Like there must be more than what society had been telling us makes us happy you know that was really the crux of it this kind of american dream that we were being sold over here in ireland just didn't seem you know it just felt like there's got to be more it to seemed life. a bit veneery there must have been more substance so so steve one christmas he says dave dave I, I don't i don't buy this anymore he says i don't feel happy i'm going away i'm getting a one-way ticket i'm going to canada you're not coming with me and i'm not coming back i'm not coming back till i know what i'm into and i'm happy so Stephen, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Canada by myself. What's the, f the longest period of time that you two had been apart before that? Uh, when we were 16, we went to boarding school in France for three months. So that was the longest time. And outside of 
that it might have been a nice, or it probably wouldn't have even been a nice. Yeah, yeah. So it was a big how, deal. Uh, like, like we shared a wardrobe up until we were 30, really, you know, so it was literally first up, best dressed. And so how hard was that when you guys were away from each other for three months? Was it was it nice, a nice experiment? Uh, or was it painful? Uh, yeah. I think it was something that was needed, you know, the way uh-huh. sometimes, you know, you got to kind of, you know, prune the apple tree in spring, you know, so that yeah. it fruits more better more better that sounds weird but uh you know as in we kind of felt like we'd never really learned how to be individuals and we kind of needed to you know you're caught all our life we were called flynn twin or often you're caught you're referred as which one are you or steve yeah, yeah. dave you know so it was like maybe let's go and learn what it's like to be able to stand on our two own two feet and just be an individual okay. so so but at 16 with that like that was really just dipping our toe in the water it wasn't until 21 where steve went away separately and we both had to kind of forge kind of go wow what am i who the hell am i when i'm not a twin what the, you know all this kind of like quite an identity crisis in a sense and we and we left just to, to carry on on that that we left like steve went to canada to vancouver and he, he went to be a snowboard instructor and i went to south africa to go be a golf pro so this is 20 years ago and um both like and, and as we said we left as jocks we were pint swilling burger munching like rugby playing Woman women chasing yeah. jocks like we really were and but, we, but but i've seen i've seen photos of you guys back when you were like 20 21 you didn't look that shredded today you guys looked like you're buff like but, now you look like the rugby players back then you looked like little scrawny nerds no 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 back then no that was one photo but no back then we were shredded them maybe okay. that was a photo, photo optical illusion back then we did have big thick necks and we were big we were we were yeah, we were rugby players. You wouldn't have mistaken us for anything else anyway. Okay, okay, okay. okay. And, yeah, and we didn't have that delicacy, you know. We, no, we were rough. We were primates. <laughs> and and we ended up, um, like, it was the first time we'd gone outside of our own social conditioning, if you if you, if you, if you, if you get it. And both of us kind of wanted to go, well, what, like, who am I outside of my own surroundings? Like, who am I? And it was like, why do I just drink beer? Why do, why do I eat meat? Like, all these things, you have to kind of answer these questions. So both of us independently at the, like, this was pre social media. And like, I think we had, we had hotmail accounts, which you checked once, or, a, yeah, once, a, or once a week, you know, you know in an internet yeah. cafe. And we had both independently became vegetarian and then became vegan, you know, very quickly after leaving like a 21. And then that kind of catalyzed this journey of going exploring food and seeing how far we could push it. Like if we, and exploring kind of the different ways of life and to see what made sense to us. Like I remember, you know, tree planting in Northern, going from living in Whistler as a snowboard instructor to tree planting in Northern Canada, living with a, you know, a group of Christians to going to Burning Man, to going living on a polyamorous community, to going to meditation centers, to hitchhiking all the way across America, just to try to see the different ways people were living and to see what kind of felt most congruent with me. You know, but it was very interesting. But, just but, but I guess I guess we went from there. We went from there. Like, as we said, we left as jocks. And then one day, like two years later, like I had traveled all through Central America. We'd both been hitched, living like kind of out of a bag for a couple of years. And then one day, and we'd become vegan at this stage. And we'd both given up alcohol. And we were we were deep into meditation. And we'd long hairs and beards and strong, offensive body odors. And Steve <laughs> calls me up one day and he says, Dave, 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 Dave I got this idea, Dave. Do you want to start this like food revolution? And th- these are the words that he used. I'm like, ah, oh, Steve, yeah, let's do it. And I think it's going to be some cool like marches. And, yeah, we're going to lead the rebellion, Steve. Yeah. And he says that. Do you want to start a vegetable shop, Dave? <laughs> vegetable shop revolution. I don't get you, Steve. And he says, trust me, now. trust me on this one. And uh, and we came home. So we came home as two 24 year olds that were now these total hippies, like quintessential hippies. And we were starting a vegetable shop and we had a little red van and we were in a small town. So people thought we had totally lost our way. And we kind of, I I had this, I guess, burning desire within me to try to create a food revolution, I I called it. And I was adamant I'd come from having a degree and a master's in business. So very much bought into the money thing, just suddenly thrown it all out the window. And I kind of wanted to start a charity because this wasn't about money. This was about the revolution. Yeah, uh, so, and, and like right from the start, we were going. We used to go to local schools and to try to make, if, you know, if Coca Cola could be sexy, well, why couldn't bananas and melons and cucumbers and like beautiful fruits? We used to go into schools and make smoothies and really yeah. just then like try to get a ripple going. And 
you know, we called it the happy pair back to your original question because there was two of us and we <laughs> yeah, started sure. a fruit shop and we were selling pears. So it was, it was literally a vegetable shop. And at the time I remember this is in 2004. So in a small town in Ireland, and we started a vegetable shop in a cafe next door, which was a vegan, you know, a plant-based cafe. And um, yeah, I remember at the time people kind of go, they must be selling drugs out the back. You know, like it was that kind of attitude where people yeah. thought we'd lost our way. And here, like here were these two young lads that were going places and now they were a pair of strange hippies that were selling vegetables, you know. And what did your what did your family think? What did your mom and your dad and your two brothers think of what you guys were doing? Were they supportive? Yeah, mom and dad were hugely supportive. I guess they kind of realized that we were probably reasonably unemployable because we were so much our own thinkers. And that I, I kind of had this strong desire that I wanted to try to use business as a vehicle for social change. And thankfully, mom and dad knew we needed to do something really physical and something that we were in our bodies rather than just sitting at a laptop in an office. So, you know, they thought, great, yeah, go they, for a lot. They had always, they'd always instilled in us that they both worked for the man, as they call it. Yeah. And they always wanted us to kind of do our chart our own course and kind of do our own things. So they always like mom used to when we were 16 she used to she helped us sell christmas trees we used to sell christmas trees and we from the garden i used, used to, to sell know. fake ids in school like yeah she always no she didn't know about that but they were always encouraging side hustles with us you know so your instagram post today you guys have an instagram post today and it says like roughly it says let go of other people's expectations and opinions and follow the call of your own voice this to me epitomizes that and you guys were doing this you know 19, 20 years ago, it seems, right? Following, following that inner voice that um getting the, that Steven was like, dude, let's do it. Let's do this food revolution. So you started this, was it in Greystone? And is that where you are now? Where are you today? Same place? The exact same building we started in. And we went from like it went from me and Steve with a little van and a little, and then we opened a cafe. And then within 10 years, it went to employing 200 people and turning over more than 10 million and having food products all around Ireland and online courses and books. And, you know, it kind yeah. of exploded. In, I mean, so it was 15 years or so, yeah, but it was more like 15. Maybe it was 15 years. It Wait, was, so, can, so can I, let's take a step back because I, I want to talk about the world of the happy pair and, and how it started and how it's grown and where it is today. And like, how many books do you have and how many, you know, shops and bakeries and employees, because it is amazing what you guys have created. So, so, so thank you, Rip. Thanks a million. Uh, so it's kind of swelled from that one little cafe. Um, we just kept following our nose. There was no business plan or no strategy. Never like we're uh, very. And we kind of measured business success probably in the first 10 years, not by financial gain, but by vibe, by the atmosphere and the, the sense feel. of momentum, the sense of kind of integrity and yeah. authenticity within it in a sense. But it, it kind of slowly, it kind of moved on to where we, we, we started making products like pestos and hummuses. We originally started a spread farm where we started, our brother was doing triathletes for Ireland and he was doing, he wanted to get the edge. Triathlons. Oh, triathlons. He was a triathlete. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was uh, growing a lot of wheatgrass and sprouts. So we, we kind of kept that going and we built a sprout farm and we started growing that. And then at one stage, he, there was a really bad winter and he didn't have a crop or something. So he started selling pesto that Stephen used to make. And people loved the pesto. And then we started making more pesto and more hummuses. And then we started making granolas. And then we, and, and now we have about 50 about, products. I think we've made 50 products in about a thousand stores around Ireland. And we've some in Dubai and hopefully we have some in the UK next year. So and they, they're all plant-based, you know, whole foods. Uh, maybe not all of them are completely whole food, but they're all like, you know, very integral, clean decks, no nasties. You guys, you guys should hook up with uh, Derek Sarnow and get your stuff Derek, to, right. at Tesco and make sure that you got it everywhere. Maybe he can help you out. Maybe you got yeah, yeah. Everywhere. We know Derek's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. he's doing great work. In he's a great. He's a lovely, genuine, gorgeous man. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, now, how did you say that you now have close to two hundred people well, that we, are? Yeah, we did. We made like, I guess at one stage and this, this is part of it. This is kind of, it might be an interesting story at some point, you know, we got, it's intoxicating when the business is growing and everyone's telling you, Oh my God, how many cafes do you have? How many? And you kind of get all these signals from society that growth is better and bigger is better. 
So at one point, this is back maybe five years ago, we borrowed one and a half million and we were grown. We were going to open another five cafes and we were going for it. Um, the big and, and we set up a central production facility, which we call Pearville. So it's, you know, you know, to we could call it a factory where we we're going to produce a lot of the food to distribute to these five or 10 cafes, which we had hoped. And we opened our third cafe in Dublin. And I found out we were kind of busier than ever. I found out yeah. I wasn't swimming in the sea as much. I wasn't training as much. And, you know, this wasn't walking the kids to school. You know, like our, our, our life had shifted. And by a kind of chance circumstances, we ended up a guy who I had done my thesis on, this guy, Charles Handy, this business philosopher. We had just randomly, like nothing being random, we bumped into him. He's 86. He invites us over to Cambridge where he's got a farm. He says, why don't you come over there one afternoon? And we flew over. We had this 86-year-old man cooked us a lovely vegan lunch and we had dinner with him in his study discussing what is success, what is meaning, and why you're doing what you're doing. And through this conversation, we, he kind of made us, it became quite obvious that we were crazy growing, just going for growth for the sake of growth. And it reminded us that small is beautiful. And I guess we've slowly been kind of coming back from 200 and COVID has fast-tracked that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess the focus now is instead of kind of exponential growth, it's core, how can we do what we do more, more beautiful and do it better and enjoy do it more. more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know what? And I hear you there. I, I can tell you, you know, just in my own world, right, trying to find the balance um, where you can be present in everything you're doing and you're not constantly thinking about the next thing. When you're with, when you're with your wife, you're with your wife. When you're with your kids and your family, you're with them. When you're doing your business stuff, you're doing that. And it, and it just doesn't get absolutely cra- uh, chaotic. And it sounds like this trip to, to go visit this 86 or 87 year old was, uh, you know, was, was turned out to be quite an epiphany. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Hmm. It kind of it kind of helped us really recalibrate. Now the business, we still pre-COVID, we had four cafes. One of them we've closed down. We were we found it easier now to focus on products and online courses. So yeah. this is and this is tie in with your father. Back about ten years ago, we were doing like uh, we started out. I wasn't a trained chef, but the first chef we hired. This is back about sixteen years ago. The great Doreen Palmer. Um, there wasn't any kind of cordon verre schools or any kind of plant-based culinary schools you could go to. So we decided we want to start a cafe and um, we hired this lady, Doreen Palmer. In. And Doreen, you know, one of these magical ladies that she, she could have been 50, 200 or 25. You know, age was totally... She grew like her, her feet were so rooted in the ground and birds this, used to land on her shoulders. Magical, like, magical, <laughs> wonderful lady that had been teaching kind of vegetarian whole food cooking for about 30 years came and she was our chef. So when you're running your business and the chef is the, the most well or the, the best paid person, you're quick and they need holidays. You quickly realize I better learn how to cook. So, yeah. and then when you run your own cafe, if you have poor food, you've no customers. So you quickly learn how to cook and how to cook well. So we kind of did that for a number of years and we used to do kind of healthy eating talks and kind of cooking demos upstairs in our cafe. And, you know, 20 people would come along and, you know, they'd have a good laugh, but then the next day you'd walk past, you know, the chip shop, and they'd be eating chips and burgers and you'd walk past and they'd look guilty. And you kind of realized this ain't working. And I think it was quite similar to your, you know, your original experiment with the firefighters. Like, yeah. I think with that and Dean Ornish's work, it was like, OK, will this work in Ireland? Like, does this actually work in Ireland? And this is 10 years ago. We did it upstairs above our vegetable shop and we had 20 people. We put up, you know, just like you. And, and, and this is us being total chances. Just going, I wonder will this work? I don't know. Actually, yeah. we'll have a shot at it. And we ended up, we ended up getting a nurse, and we got twenty people from the community that signed up, and they probably signed up out of curiosity of going, what are these crazy lads up to? <laughs> you know, boredom. They signed up out of boredom or whatever. But we had twenty people come along, and they came once a week for four weeks. And the first night, Angela, our nurse, measured everyone's cholesterol, weight, and blood pressure. This is 10 years ago now. And then we, 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 as chefs, we just passed around food and got them to taste stuff. And they, they came once a week for four weeks. You know, and most people would have been meat and two veg. This was a big shift, you know, talking about lentils in Ireland 10 years exactly ago. Exactly, as you, you know this. You know this. You've been through oh, this yeah. just as much as we have. And obviously the results were incredible after four weeks. And we did more and more of them. You know, they got bigger and bigger. And uh, and then it started, the, it was the national uh, newspapers started to do articles and started to get too busy. And it was like, this is too busy. I don't want to be doing courses all the time. I'm enjoying cooking and going to the markets and all this. So we kind of had the idea, let's build one online. So we built an online course. 
back when people were kind of nervous about putting their credit yeah. cards into the internet. And um, I, I think it was eight years ago. And back then I got wow. in touch with your mom. It yeah. was with your mom and your dad about getting your dad to, will he have a look at it? So your mom would feed information to your dad. Yeah. And Caldwell had kind of go, yes, I mean, and, a good few conversations. phone calls, and they were the and sweetest, the most lovely people. You know, and you're just like, my God, you're so supportive and encouraging. And we're two little chancers in Ireland. And here you are, like, as heroes to us. Because I remember reading your dad's book and going, wow, this is... Yeah. It was very. It was a lovely moment, and and so and Colin T Campbell as well. They kind of kind of gave us a, a bit of support behind us, and we we've kind of gone with that, and now it's kind of gone from that ha- original Happy Heart course, which was very slow to get going for the first four years as an online product, and now we've got six courses where we've had more than fifty thousand people through them in more than one hundred and twenty countries now, and we partner with doctors and consultant gastroenterologists, and car- Joe Can is the cardiologist for Happy Heart now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's really fun. It's amazing. And it's the same type of journey which you've had in it's terms of encouraging people, supporting people really see the whole food plant-based diet. And that's really it. It's yeah. wonderful. Now, so did you guys did you get did you guys go to chef school or did you just learn from this woman that had the birds landing on her shoulder? Yeah, yeah. So I would have trained under her, and then I guess you do it every day and you run kitchens for 10 years and you quickly get to know and then a lot of it, you know, the way. And then I guess we started uh, after about maybe it was must have been about seven years ago, we got an email from Jamie Oliver's team asking if we'd be part of his food tube channel, which was a YouTube channel. Woo! As vegan chefs that were dads, would we come over and be part of that? So that got us into YouTube. And when, when you're in YouTube, you've got to innovate and get people's attention quickly. So we, you've got to learn really quick how to be very innovative, really drive things on. So we've kind of, I think we've shot about 500 videos on that and we've got, you know, nearly 40 million views. And they're all, you kind of learn how to really iterate and create and be relevant. So that's been a very fun. And then I think the same way with writing cookbooks helps you kind of distill things and really kind of, like when you're cooking to reduce a sauce, it helps you kind of reduce the, the information of cooking and how to make it relevant to someone at home in a kitchen with an aubergine or a, an eggplant going, what do I do with this? Well, I am so, so, you know, I was just going through your Instagram page and it is such a look into the fun, whimsical, creative, artistic, beautiful lives, active lives that, that you guys, you know, lead on a daily basis. And, it, and, and I look at it and I'm like, I want part of this world, right? I want, I want in. Uh, <laughs> you guys have done a really tremendous job. Who take, who does all your photography and like the food shots? And really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Steven, Steven, you're doing a bang up job. So you guys are, and you guys have written like what? Five, six books, seven yeah, books. We've written five. We're on our, writing our sixth one now. Oh my gosh, you just never, never end. So do you both write or how does that work? Yeah, it depends. Like usually I write words. Like I, I'm better at words. And this yeah. next book we're writing, we're both writing it together, which is fun. It's all recipes, all food. So this is yeah, fun. But like, like they go through processes. I remember like say the first book, I remember, I remember we got approached by a publisher in London to do a cookbook. And it was like a cookbook, us? What? And, and you know, when you get a contract, you aren't used to seeing contracts like, Ooh. and we didn't end up doing it. And then I remember uh, the publishers from Penguin contacted us and uh, we went in and we met them. And it was like sitting down with, I don't know if you ever grew up reading Roald Dahl or Enid Blyton. And it was like yeah. sitting down with these wonderful educated people that use great vocabulary and you were eating, drinking out of the good chine. It felt like, oh, I really want to have friends like this, Dave. Can we do, can we sign with Penguin? We signed with Penguin and Penguin said, um, you know, if, you, if you're a chef that has a TV show in Ireland, you might sell 2,000 copies. But they said, because you lads have a shop, you know, we'll print 6,000 and, you know, you'll sell them over 10 years. And we went, okay, great. And we were a bit nervous, like 6,000 copies. And it's not only a cookbook, it's a vegetarian cookbook. And the book came out, um, I think it was in October. And I I remember I was away and I remember phoning Dave, Dave, what's happening? And Dave said, you'll never believe it. Some fella got up and he drove two hours and he wants me to write my name on his book. (laughs) We couldn't get over this. This was amazing. Um, And the book came out within two months. We'd sold the 6,000 copies and it was the number one bestselling cookbook in Ireland that year. In the following year, it outsold Jamie Oliver and Nigella Lawson two copies to one. So it was it was one of those things that just don't know just exploded and, in and, a fortunate way. And is and are you still with Penguin? 
yeah. Yeah, with Penguin. Yeah, it's it's. I guess we, we found, I guess, through our business that it's kind of partnership, partnership, and having those deeper relationships is you know makes it more fun and more enriching, and you get to share the journey more with people that you trust and you care about. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, they must be overjoyed with the success that you guys have uh, helped bring them. Wow, In- incredible. We'll be right back with the happy pair. But first, I want to remind everyone that Mother's Day is literally right around the corner. But no need to fret. We've got you covered. Simply head over to planstrong.com garden and sign up to receive one of our limited edition Plant Strong Spring Culinary Experience Boxes. This is the second in a series of at-home cooking classes in partnership with our friends at the Chef's Garden, a regenerative farm near the shores of Lake Erie that has some of the most fertile soil on the planet. You can sign up today and then make a date with mom or with anyone who will appreciate this fun culinary activity to come together to make a four-course spring dinner that is out of sight. These boxes will begin to ship on May 17th, and they include premium hand-picked produce, a full library of videos that show you how Chef Jamie taught my mom and me to make this meal, and beautiful printed recipe cards. Visit plantstrong.com garden today for all the details. And now, let's get back to my visit with the happy pair. One of the things that I see you guys are doing, uh, and it seems like when it's possible, a daily basis is meditation and breath work. Can you just like talk to our listeners I, about that? Can yeah. I tell a story about this stuff? No, okay. I, I would love it. I would love okay, it. Okay. But, before you do, but before you do, I have to chime in. So you guys did Vipassana meditation, didn't you? When you were doing yes. So my brother, I got a younger brother, Zeb, that's probably done, no joke, 30 of those Vipassana wow. 10 day meditation courses. And wow. 30 of them. And uh, anyway, I haven't done one yet, but I'm, I feel like I, I should because um, a lot of good would probably come from it. But okay, go ahead. Go ahead. And what's your brother like? Is he pretty tuned in and very... Oh yeah, no, he, he, oh yeah, he, he, he practiced Buddhism for, you know, off the grid for like six, seven years. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a Jedi master. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to be. Yes. <laughs> like all of us, like all of us. Uh, but we were, I remember it was back when we were like 21 or 22. Dad called us up one time. He says, lads, I went to see this big tall lad with massive hands in New York. You've got, if you can get yourself to New York, it was Tony Robbins. He went to Tony Robbins seminar. He said, if you, I think you'd really enjoy, it. you'd have great fun. So he said, if you can get yourselves to New York, I'll pay for your ticket. So we ended up going to New York and we went to Tony Robbins seminar, which was gas crack. It was gas really, means funny. In, in and Irish. crack means fun in Irish. So it was really good fun. Yeah. And, uh, and we went straight from there to a 10 day silent V passion and retreat. So we went straight from Tony Robbins of you can do it. You can have it. You can be. And so much fun, like really. And then we went to the polar opposite of 10 days, no talking, no phones, no books, no looking at anyone. A lot of the time in the dark in a cross leg position for 10 days. And we ended up staying there for a month. And what was more powerful? What was more powerful? The Tony Robbins or the meditation? I think it was the meditation. Like they were both wonderful in their own different ways, but, but, but the I, meditation I, I, was more profound and had a more deeper inner resi- resolve, which was well, nice. Well, I think one was more about extrinsic success, whereas the other one was more about intrinsic. So extrinsic yeah. or extrinsic meaning or external, you're more focused on the accumulation of material possessions, whereas the other one was more like you had to sit and face your demons and have to sit with yourself and just observe you know, the craziness of your own yeah, you mind. Yeah, you just sit there with this, the great sword of truth. But that was the kind of formation of, of Vipassana was at the root of it. And for probably five years after that, before we had kids, we used to meditate two hours a day, an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And that was... Every that day? Was, every day? Well, that was every day. And that was even when we used to go to the fruit market. We used to get have to get up at 4.30 a.m. to go to the fruit market. And we used to get up at 3.30 and meditate, like sleep, meditate for an hour before we'd go to the fruit market, like we were like a pair of monks. We were very monastic. We'd come back in the evening and we'd meditate like we were 
Yeah, we're pretty hardcore. And now, can you meditate like lying down, or do you have to be sitting up and in? Oh, in I'd, I'd sit, oh, sit cross-legged. Yes. Oh, if I lie down, I fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, no, that's young not kid. meditation. That's napping. But, but I, I, I think not. I guess over recent years, when life has got really busy, and we've like we've young kids, not together, but with our own partners, with <laughs> yeah. kids, uh, and I guess as the business became more demanding, we kind of lost. The, the practice of meditation. And it's only in recent years, we've really got back and realized how important it is. And I think for anyone listening, you know, meditation doesn't have to be sitting there chanting. It could be having a cup of tea. I think meditation is the simple practice is practicing being present or anchoring your attention in something and focusing it. So it could be walking. It could be spending time in nature. It could be playing with your kids. It could be having beers with friends, but anything that brings you back to that present moment and helps you yeah. focus your attention and I, and I think it's i think it's also back to like we live in nowadays there's so much distraction where we if you can concentrate and focus it is a superpower in today's day and age of binging and buzzing and vibrations and notifications and yeah. so many calls on our attention so i think meditation for us is really the discipline it's almost like gym for your mind in terms of training your attention you sit there it goes it starts planning your day and then you come back to your breath you sit there and it starts thinking about the car that went by and it's a red car and is it like my car maybe it's paula and her car oh and then you come back again all oh, my breath my breath my sensations yeah. and it's i think it's a wonderful gym for your mind i think is how i like or for your soul really so you, you, you meditate do you meditate at all rip i don't i don't no i and i was no i was talking to rich roll maybe a couple of months ago i had him on the podcast and we talked about it and i was like okay i got to start meditating and i haven't yet i would say that my meditation is getting up it's going to swim practice it's kind of meditation in motion and rich was like nah you need to you need to sit still <laughs> <laughs> it was there was there was a friend who was encouraging another friend there recently and he was saying to her, just start with one minute a day. Yeah. Start with one minute a day and build it by one minute until you get to five and see if that's sustainable. Because like one minute is quite sustainable and two minutes and then three minutes and then like you could probably make it to five and oh, yeah. see how that is. Yeah. I thought that was a good entry point. Now, uh, you guys both are married, correct? Uh, I was, I've been, I was separated for seven years and now I'm going to get, I'll probably get married again okay. this year. And do you both have children? Yeah. Okay. Ten. I've, I've, we both have ten-year-olds. We both have seven-year-olds, and then he's got a three-year-old as well. Wow. It's funny. I guess being twins, so much of your life is in, or so much of our lives have been insistent. So it was like literally, my wife got pregnant, Dave's wife got pregnant, and we weren't planning it. Uh, and then similarly, like after, then our next kids were almost, but they, within two months of each other, yeah, so both pretty both amazing. First two kids. Are, so they're all very close, and it's you know, it's very we're very fortunate in that way. Oh my gosh! And then. <clears throat> boys girls what do you have i have two girls and he has two boys and a girl <laughs> incredible so i just yeah. so got, oh i've got three and i'm 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 very close to you guys i got married way late in life i've got a 13 year old 11 year old and a seven year old wow and what are they are they boys or girls or no so the oldest is a boy and okay. then the, and then the middle and the youngest are girls yeah. Okay, so you've got 10 and 7 girls. I've got 10 and 7 girls as well. Yes, yes. At what age did you get married at then? I was 40, almost 44. Wow, good man. Good yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I took oh, I'm going to do round two and I'll be 41, so. Well, wait, how old are you guys right now? 41. 40. Oh my gosh, you guys are young. That is so phenomenal. You've done so much. you got so much more to do. It's, it's, it's exciting. Now I want to say I'm going to say one word, and then I want you guys to talk about it. Handstands, like handstands. Why do you guys love handstands? Because it's the simplest way. You like say we do it before anything. Like I'll always do handstands and maybe hold it for thirty seconds or something. Because all the blood flows to your brain. You might be feeling, oh, I feel a bit tired. I feel a bit creaky. You know, yeah. I don't feel like I'm. I'm buzzing, do a handstand and you feel like a kid, you feel playful, you feel stupid. And it makes you, you know, sends loads of blood. And it kind of changes your perspective. You're literally looking at things it, in other ways. So. It turns, turns life on its head. But it's also, I, I guess we've always joked about, you know, we always wanted to be in a circus. And I think it's fun as we get older, at least we find a lot of our friends that, you know, you stop kind of starting new hobbies and learning new tricks and new skills. And I guess we see handstands as a fun little 
you know, I can hold a handstand. Can I do a one-arm handstand? Can I do a Mexican? Oh, can I do a front flip? Oh, can I, you know, we're really enjoying just the art of play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And how often do you either do the art of play, handstands, yoga? Is this, is this a daily ritual? Yeah, yeah. It certainly used to be like the last month we've been, we've been bit writing a book and I've been moving house. So we've been prioritizing those things. But for the last, I'd say, four or five years, we'd meet most mornings, I'd say five or six mornings a week at 6 a.m. and we train for an hour. So we do, whether it's yoga or handstands or animal movement or a run or some form of physical play. And we'd always like, and back pre-COVID, because we'd often put things up on social media, we'd have different people coming and visiting and they'd want to be a part of it. So you could get someone coming in who was like a dancer teaching you how to dance or someone else coming in to teach you how to do drumming yoga or, Pilates or, or, or some kind of new breath thing. You know, it was really, it's, it was very fun pre-COVID that people would just drop in randomly. Oh, I'll come in and I'll do a class with you on such and such. And so we've kind of, we've kind of almost consciously, I think it was unconsciously first, that that thing's kind of doing different things all the time. So it's not just one yoga practice that's static. It's kind of being, and your body becomes very limited. We found we did about 15 years, almost 20 years of Ashtanga yoga, very serious Ashtanga yoga. And it can be quite competitive and quite almost abrasive. And, and or I would say stiffness, you know, almost, you know, the way yoga, you're doing it to be more flexible. But if you just do the one kind of set of movements, you become stiff in those movements. So We've now, over the last five years, I'd say, become a lot more varied with our movement and realized that flexibility is the king of all as you get older rather than having being able to bench press loads of weights. Totally hear you. Totally hear you. So you guys, and just like looking at your Instagram, looking at the covers of your books, seeing you guys right now, you two are some of the most fashionable guys that I know, right? As far as, but it's this relaxed, like, I don't give a damn, like, kind of like, <laughs> like fashion, right? Whether it's the blue jean shorts without the shirt, whether it's the flannel top, you know, <laughs> with, the, with the jeans or the shorts or the flip flops or whatever the, the, the look is. Is this intentional or is this just the look that you guys feel most like authentic and, and you know, you in? Yeah, I'd say it's completely authentic because... We're like a pair of cavemen, really. Like, we really are. You know, like, genuinely, we're like a pair of primates. We're, we're very functional in our fashion. The reason yeah, we wear damn shorts is because they don't show the dirt very well. They don't yet. show the shirt, And they're made of some elastic kind of thing. So you last for, like, two years. And you really, like, you can do gymnastics. And then you can do yoga. And you can build your house with them. You can build some carpentry with the shed in them. And you just brush them off. Ah, oh, they're grand. I'll get another day out of them. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I think one of the, the fortunate things that we have is I guess we've worked hard, like uh, in recent years, maybe it's turning 40, you become a little bit more existential and imagining, you know, what's real success and what gives me meaning. And we've kind of really focused on trying to cultivate a lifestyle that we love, you know, where you can get up in the morning and maybe meditate for a little, then meet Dave and pre-COVID, meet some friends. And we do various different training. We swim in the sea every day at sunrise. And there's a wonderful group and community that support each other to do it. And there's great we have the expression in Ireland, crack August kill, which means fun and music, but this wonderful crack, which means not as in crack and cocaine, camaraderie, but, camaraderie. but the sense of the yeah. joy, the friendship, the laughter, the support of each other. And we'll have tea on the beach and we celebrate each other's birthdays. Then generally I'll come back and have brekkie with the family and bring the kids to school and then go off and do work. But it's, I guess we've really tried to cultivate this lifestyle that we love and really that's success for us in recent years. And it's you know, uh, and just in case anyone's wondering, like it sounds very idyllic and it is in so many sense, but we have up days and bad days just like anyone else. But we have a lot of kind of habits and pillars in our life that make us have a lot more good days than other days, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I was reading something somewhere and I can't remember where it was, but it was about happiness and how you got to create your own happiness. And it sounds like you guys have done, you know, just that in, in, in everything you do, starting with these crazy ass morning swims in the ocean. Does the, does the temperature, is it like the same year round? Is it fluctuate at all? Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think one of the fun thing about swimming, like we swim at sunrise and in Ireland in summer, it's at 4.50 a.m. And in winter, it's at 8.40. So it really changes. So you got to adapt to the light. And then also in summer, it'll be warmer. Like the sea might hit a maximum temperature of 16 degrees Celsius. 
but in winter it might hit four degrees Celsius. So it's actually like they call it ice swimming. So it's freezing. But the one thing that sustains it and makes us do it every day of the year is the friendship. And I think it's a great reminder in these times when, you know, we're struggling, like in the UK, they appointed a minister for loneliness and loneliness is a bit of an epidemic. And I think it's a wonderful reminder for me, that sense of community, the sense of togetherness, you can get over the cold. And, you can and, embrace yeah, and, it's, it. and it's symbolic almost that together we face this common enemy of the sea. And yeah. it like, it transforms you every morning. You get in there with, with problems, whinging about something or other, and you come out going, geez, it's a great day. What? Like it just primes your brain and sets it in a different trajectory where you're, you're more like a five-year-old than a, 45 year old you know which is you come out i always think you come out you know in a dog in the morning it's wagging its tail and it's crazy and you come out of the sea wagging your tail going, and you're one of those annoying people that's going oh it's beautiful <laughs> oh my god i feel so great you know that type it's, of thing it's so true it, it truly is a rebirth and i think it's one of the reasons why i i i, I swim every morning six mornings a week except for Sundays. And, um, I couldn't agree with you more, but I am not doing the ocean swim where it's like that cold. And there's probably something about the element of the cold, but also really refreshes you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the element of nature, often many of us are disconnected. And I think it's lovely. The variation, I don't know in Austin, but in Ireland, the weather changes like often it could be snowing, sunny, windy, rain. Like we could get four seasons in one day. So it's amazing how, the simple thing of walking down to the sea every day, suddenly even at the moment, the magnolia trees are in bloom. You get down. Oh, it's wavy today. Oh, I saw a little lobster on the beach. Wow, I don't see lobsters very often. Or the tide. You can see the moon cycles. You know, the moon's waning at the moment. The sunrise typically goes more around towards the east as the, the, the year goes on. Like, there's all these little things. You're more connected with nature, which is a nice thing, nice habit of it. And then jumping the sea is almost like mainlining nature because it's, it's like this bus. It's like so, this rush of wall of energy just hits you in the morning and bowls you over, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your, to use your term, what's your favorite brekkie these days, uh, Stephen <laughs> and David? Uh, you, you know, you go, you go. <laughs> Stephen, very, he's very consistent. I I, I he's had one lover his whole life, one brekkie lover. He's just <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a horse. He's an inner horse. Being Irish, I just find it really hard to cheat on oatmeal or porridge is what we call it. I just adore it. It nourishes my soul. Like sometimes I reckon I have like oatmeal going through my blood. Like I eat so much of it. Like we'll probably eat porridge twice a week for dinner with the kids because the kids just go, I don't want to eat anything. Can we just have porridge? It's like, yes, we can have porridge. Now, let me let me ask you this with your with your oatmeal porridge. Are you doing steel cut oats? Are you doing like rolled oats? What 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 is that? I, I think in an ideal world, steel cut is the most healthy. But I, I think for anyone listening or even you'll have experienced yourself, often the ideal can be the ideal for a reason. And you kind of have to go with what's practical and what works. Yeah. I use an organic jumbo oat. I think jumbo gives a little bit more texture. I don't know if you have jumbo in the States, but jumbo is like the larger flaked oat versus often there'll be porridge flake, which would be a smaller, quicker cooking one. Just the jumbo will give a little bit of texture, a little bit of bite. I yeah. cook at half oat milk. I use half right, half water. So it's like one part oat flake, one part oat milk, yeah. one part water. And you end up with this lovely creamy texture. Normally I'll top it with, you know, I might put berry compote, I'll put granola, maybe blood oranges aren't seasoned right now. A little bit of coconut yogurt. Might put some, you know, we'll tend to really pimp it out and really go to town on it and make you know, turn into an art piece that you love. Yeah. And do you have a, is it a medium-sized bowl, a small bowl, a big bowl? Or horse-sized. stallion-sized. Stallion, <laughs> yes. No, I, I, have a, yeah, I have a large size. And, and even, can I tell you a little funny story about porridge? Oh, this uh, is a good one. Like back, back a few, and this was, I guess, back a number of years ago, we used to make um, porridge in the, you know, for ourselves in the cafe. And we think, Oh, we live in a small little commuter town. This is 15 years ago. This is a long time ago. My sense of time is poor. But uh, I, I remember kind of going, geez, like no one will buy porridge. We're not going to sell porridge. And, and Sally said, this was the manager at the time. She said, lads, I think we should try selling porridge. And I was like, nah, Sally, like no one will buy porridge. Like let's give it away for free. And we thought, okay, right. Let's give it away for free and see if anyone's interested. So we, people have come in and they go, can I have an Americano and can I have a bowl of porridge? And you go, great. And you give them the bowl of porridge and they go, how much is it? And you go, three euro. And they go, three euro. But you forgot to charge about the porridge. You go, that nah, porridge is free. And they go, wow, cool. 
you know, and it was kind of, we, we did that for a week and it kind of created this just nice little bit of a buzz about it. Uh, and then it came to the end of that, that week and Sally was like, right, lads, what are we charging for this porridge? And I was like, I don't know, like three or two year, I don't know. And then, and then Steve says, he says, can we just give it away for free? Like just for one more week. One feels really good. Like people are enjoying it. Um, and that one more week has been 15 years. And I don't know how many millions of bowls of porridge at this stage that we've given away, like just plain porridge has always been free for the last 15 years. So that'll tell you how much. And it was really just an, an idea. It was just something to build community. And it, it kind of just kept going. Well, that's your lost leader, leader then right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 long before there was a lost leader, I think, <laughs> it was 15 years ago. All right, we right now, now, David, what's your brekkie? Yeah, so I've kind of, I feel like I've cheated on porridge the last number of years. I have a, I'm sorry, lad, I feel like I'm in a fraternity here of, of <laughs> porridge <laughs> anonymous, porridge <laughs> anonymous. Uh, I have a chia seed pudding, so we have chia seeds with flax seed and all sorts of other, you know, cacao nibs and mac or whatever else might be in the press. And I'll soak that in oat milk and then I'll top it with lots of fruit. I'll have apple and pear and banana and kiwi and probably mango and blueberry and then lots of almond butter. And that's my brekkie. And it's like I have a horse size and it's just like I just love it. Like yeah. I look it's my favorite meal of the day pretty much every day. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So now the chia seeds, when you say you soak them, how long do you soak them before? you? Uh, only, as lo- only as long as I'm chopping the fruit. So I'll soak them all like I'll just. I'll put in probably seven, I kind of put in, say, seven tablespoons of chia seeds for me, put in a bit of flax, ground flax, put in a bit of maca, probably add in maybe 150 to 200 ml of oat milk, I'd say, and then whisk it with a fork. And then I'd go on to chop my fruit. Take me 10 minutes to chop the fruit for me and Sab. By that stage, I'll have to give the chia seeds another little whisk, a little bit more oat milk, and then I'll top it all up, lather on the almond butter and Brekkie's ready, and then sit down and make love to my brekkie. <laughs> I love it. Is that now? Is that a, is that a recipe in the uh, in the new book or one of the old books? The the Dave's cheese. No, I think yeah. it's probably. I'm sure it's in, in book five. I'm it? sure it's in some the most course. Or when we kind of had fun trying to distill. I guess we were kind of professional chefs for about fifteen years. And we kind of wanted to try to distill those learnings down where people can, you know, kind of substitute different ingredients and to think like a chef so like say you're making soup you're thinking what's my base veg okay what's my stock okay what's my flavor even even, even a good way to describe it is we we tried to kind of like so we've been running our kitchens for 10 or 15 years so we've been used to cooking in volume for hundreds of people so an example of this book we was it was vegan cooking forever like say a granola recipe we kind of broke it down to a scalable recipe as in 50 percent rolled oats yeah 10 percent nuts 10 percent seeds 10% 10% dried fruit, 10% sweetener, and 10% fat. And your fat could be coconut oil, sunflower oil, yep. canola oil. Your dried fruit could be raisins or mango or you know goji berries, whatever it might be. Your nuts could be whatever you have. And your this, seeds could be. And it, it could this, be this recipe you could use to make 50 kilos or to make a ton or to make 100 grams. Yeah, because we literally make tons of granola every week because we you know have a product which we sell around ireland so that was our like that's what we tried to do with the full book to try to make it where it's these scalable formulas so you can adapt and kind of go okay i don't have chickpeas but i have butter beans and kidney beans i don't have peppers but i have other fast cooking veg like spinach and broccoli or other things you know so it's it was a fun book that was vegan cooking for everyone yeah do you guys um you guys have a favorite green leafy vegetable that you like to eat Ah, uh, well, now it has to be kale now, doesn't it? it I, be, I know you're a big lover of kale. <laughs> I am. I like, the, I like the dinosaur kale. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm going to go a little out there. So on the sprout farm, Dar- that's Dara originally started, like we, we grow, you know, sprouted pea and sprouted sunflower, maybe fenugreek and alfalfa and clover and radish. But I think sprouted coriander is incredibly delicious. Now you're being very highbrow there. Well, you know, like the supermarket. <laughs> you're, being, you're being very aspirational there, Stephen <laughs> Flynn. But I, I do like it. It's a lovely flavor to it. It's only in yeah. small quantities. I don't think I've ever had that. Oh, said, oh, coriander, we call you'd call it cilantro. So, oh, like, yeah. So, so, so like you're taking a, a cilantro seed and you're germinating. You probably get it 10, 12 days old. And it's just, it's like that, cor- that cilantro pack. But it's like super concentrated and like light and almost has a little bit of acid to it. It's, oh, it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. We, we call it, we don't call it dinosaur kale. We call it a uh, Cavallo Nero here. 
So from America, they'll call it dinosaur kale, but in Italy, it's called cavolo nero, which is like black cabbage. Cavolo nero. Cavolo nero. And it's, yeah, it's the same dinosaur kale. It's like, that was beautiful. Yeah, no, totally. So what are you guys most excited about right now that you're working on? It sounds like a cookbook, uh, another cookbook, right? I'm, I'm having so much fun at the moment. We just moved house and we, we, we bought our first house, which is an old 160 year old house. And I've been learning to build. Now yeah. I say the word build, but pretty much build. use a screw gun and drill holes in the wall and hang skirting boards. Yeah. And I've been having so much fun. Like I've realized building our hands, I, like, you know, the way you become so detached, you're very good at putting a photo up on Instagram or you're very good at typing out a recipe, but you're not very good at plumbing, plumbing a toilet or how to fix a leak or, ah, oh, I'm just loving that. I'm having so much fun with DIY. And well, that's do it yourself, getting back to the basics. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd say I'm fascinated with the concept of community. I, I think it's something I'm like, I was listening to a video recently during the week and it kind of really got me thinking of, it was talking about the importance in terms of longevity of our social integration. So like the people you walk past every day, do you say hello to them? Do you say hello to the postman, the person who makes your coffee? Do you have that little bit of chit chat? Cause it's very easy in our busy lives to kind of avoid the small talk. And my wife's Polish and she'll often, you know, slag me how in Ireland our favorite conversation is about the weather. And she'll often joke at me and laugh but uh, there's now more and more research saying the importance of the small talk and the sense of that social integration is so important for our longevity. It's one of the, the most important factors they found that as well as close relationships. So I think that thing, I think especially during our disconnected world right now, I think the importance of saying hello and how are you? Just lovely day, isn't it? Those little chats are so part of the human experience and part of the sense of the, the, the sense of tribe and the collective, which we all crave to be a part of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so let me ask you this before we before we uh, bow out here and so who who really inspires and motivates each and every one of you i mean each of you my children yeah. I, I think you know i think it's just they press my buttons when they scream and they give out and it tries to teach me to be more patient it teaches me to be more present and it teaches me what love is so I think that's that's probably and my wife teaches me a lot about how to be a kinder, better person. So yeah, I think I, I think all the people, I'd say all the people in my life, and I'm just saying this is me, but I'm sure all of us can relate to that. You know, the way you'll see someone else and a friend will be kind, and you go, ah, I, I, I'm gonna be a bit more kinder now. Or someone else is is kind of nice and thoughtful, and you go, right, I'm, I should be a bit more kind, thoughtful. Or you watch a good video and it talks about social connections, and you go, Oh, let's talk about this, Steve. This is really good. This is gonna help people. So I think this like every inspires me like spring at the moment is inspiring me because it's blooming like i'm walking in the street the birds are chirping at 5 a.m and i'm going jesus damn isn't it oh wow the magnolia is blooming the daffodils are coming out. the the leaves are budding on our street and i think that inspires me like the sea inspires actually i could just keep going on forever so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's annoying <laughs> i think i think life life inspires you Definitely. Yeah. And then other times it doesn't. So, you know, it all depends. Yeah. Well, you know what you two, I really appreciate you taking time out to, you know, uh, have a conversation with me. You guys shine your light and your love, like very few people that I know do. And, uh, the, the, I think the, the joy and the happiness and the, the education uh, that you guys have shared with literally millions and millions of people. It is, it is breathtaking and it, it is awe-inspiring. And I want to thank you guys for being such trailblazing people in the plant-based movement. Thank you. Jeez, thank thank you. beautiful words. Right back at you. Every single one of those words you said to us are just boom, right back at yeah. you. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, hope, I hope that this is the first of many connections uh, in the uh, in the future, and with that, you guys, will you do a sign off with me? We do. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm meant to do a little story. I'm meant to do a little story as well. Yeah. Here, you yeah. say hello over here. Just, just repeat after me, okay? Ready? Peace. Okay. Peace. And then turn it around. Engine two. Engine two. Plant strong. Plant strong. Are we gonna do it again? Can we do it again? Can we do it again and flow? Okay. okay. Uh, three. Absolutely. Three, right. two, one. 
Peace. Engine Turn around. Two. Engine two. Plan Oh, let me get to show the guns. <laughs> my guns aren't so big. I must work on my guns. Is it just me or don't you just want to be part of their world? I mean, these guys have the magic sauce. And, uh, and meeting people like Stephen and David only strengthens my resolve that we, as a Plant Strong community, are on the right path. You may find yourself saying, whatever these guys have, I want it. Well, you can have it. And it's called plants. Plants can transform lives and help you cultivate a lifestyle you love. Let's help you. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com for resources on this episode and all things Plant Strong. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.